1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker. And Ron, on today's show, we have a very special guest, Magot
2: Wade. Yeah, looking forward to this, Ed. This is going to
1: be fantastic. I have uh, been uh, watching... some of uh, Magat's work uh, today and, and reading some of her articles. And um, uh, first of all, let me just, just bring her on and, and just welcome her. First of all, Magat, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thanks for being here.
3: Well, thanks for having me.
1: And I just want to clear something up. You speak, is it three languages, four languages? <laughs> yes, um, four. Four four okay well mm-hmm. I, I i i speak one and then i did take french so uh but but <laughs> i want to just share this with you for four years but the only thing other than the our father i can remember mm-hmm. is this it's is je parle français comme une vache espagnol avec accent russe which oh
3: that's terrible yeah <laughs> that would be that let us go there
1: <laughs> and I, I just want to tell you that I have used that phrase both in France and in, in Quebec, and it works like a charm because everyone is they're like, yeah, OK, we will speak English to you then. Exactly. <laughs> it means, it means, Ron, in case you missed it, I speak French like a Spanish cow with a Russian accent. So, uh and I just I I I wanted to tell that story because during one of your uh videos, Magat, you you get you, t- you sometimes get very impassioned and at one point you kind of broke and you said, the "English is my fourth language. Give me a break." <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I will be I will, I will do the same thing on here as well. If and if ever you hear me uh switching words around, remember please that English is only my fourth language. And I and I and I started learning it when I was 16. So,
1: <laughs> well we are we are very impressed and I can tell you that that uh, your your English is already be, is better than my French for sure and and uh, uh m- much better than 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 uh, any other language the, the languages that you speak I'm sure so Anyway, uh, let me introduce you. Magat M- M- is was born in Senegal, but educated in France, hence the the uh, French speaking as well. But started her entrepreneurial career in San Francisco. She has founded what now three separate companies. Magat, is that mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the first one was a beverage company that sold uh, native uh, dr- uh, native drinks, uh, n- native to, to, to Senegal. And mm-hmm. the next one, the second one, is uh, Tosano, right? Am I pronouncing that right? I think it-
3: Kiosan. Mm-hmm. Kiosan.
1: Tosano. Yep. And uh, that was a company based on, uh, that was a skincare product. And then you have a third company that you just recently launched, like, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, right? Called mm-hmm. um, Skin is Skin. Mhm. Right. Awesome. So we'll we'll That's get a chance right. to talk a little bit about a, of all three of those, but the first thing I want to do is is just tell us a little bit of your story. How do, how do you get from from Senegal to France to San Francisco working in uh the dot com boom to now uh skincare products.
3: <laughs> right. So basically, yes, I was born in Senegal, West Coast of Africa, and um I was born and raised there for the first few years of my life, you know, very formative years of my life. Um, So right after, you know, my parents finished, my mother finished breastfeeding me, I guess, um, my parents decided to move to, to emigrate to the, um, to Europe. For I guess better economic opportunities, and so not knowing if they were going to stay there or not, um, and wanting to avoid me unnecessary disruption in my life, they decided to leave me behind with my in the care of my grandmother until they made up a decision for a more. Um, until they made up a more permanent decision about, you know, where the family's gonna stay and live. So um what what mm-hmm. it means is I was left behind to be raised by my grandmother, like I said, in during very formative years. Um I stayed there until seven and a half years being raised by my grandma. And during those times I um usually insist on this because in my mind that those few years um could literally explain could literally explain the rest of my life, especially my uh, adult life. So in any case, I um, I stayed behind with my grandma and she really had a very um, um, independent... She, she, she allowed me to have a really original type of... Um, um, bringing in a way, meaning that I did not want to go to school. When a time, when, when time came when all of the kids would go to school, I did not want to go to school for whatever reason. And she said, well, leave her alone. So I really spent those few years, um, instead of going to school, really playing and uh, learning really from playing, literally, and doing everything at my own pace, in my own way, under her guidance and wisdom. And so by the time my parents found out that I was really not going to school and that they felt it was now no longer okay to be that way, they decided to, bring, to have me come over to um, Europe with them. And by that time, they had decided they were going to stay there. So at that time, I remember I had to basically leave Senegal to go to uh, back then to Germany because that's where they were and imagine me I've never never left my village I've never left, left my country I didn't know what uh, cold weather meant let alone snow you know and so but I moved in the middle of the winter from Senegal to um, to um, what do you call it to uh, Germany and I do remember that before leaving My grandmother said to me, she said, listen, you're going to go to this one place where most people do not look like you. They have a skin color that's going to be different from yours. And they're going to be speaking a language that you don't understand. And, um, most of the kids you're going to go, you're going to go, you're going to be going to school with. They have been going to school. They understand the rules of school. They know what it is, but for you, it's going to be brand new. And she said, yet, despite all of that, I really do not want for you to, um, to be intimidated by any of that. Because at the end of the day, even if they don't have the same color of skin, well, they are still humans and you're a human being. And even that language they're gonna speak that you don't understand, it's a language spoken by humans and you're human. And the school that they're going to and all of that, well, maybe they have been going and you have not been going, but still, it's something that little young humans do, and um, you're human. So she said, whatever you face when you go there, I really don't want you to be intimidated or to start feeling any less because at the end of the day, as I told you, it's all humans doing things, saying things, looking like things, and you're a human being. So whatever it is that they do that it may impress you so much, you can do the same, if not better. So she sent me off with that message, and it really never left me. And so I went to Germany, and everything she said was true. They didn't look like me. They didn't speak for I didn't understand the language. I sincerely, this idea of going to school, having hours and, and being behind closed doors was so new for me. I was just, I was really struggling. But, you know, being a young kid, my grandmother never lied to me. She has always treated me as a young little adult. It didn't, didn't matter how little I was. I had no reason to doubt what she said, except, especially given that what she had predicted was true. And I figured that... um the way forward that she suggested would be true too. So I didn't leave, I didn't let any of that stuff phase me out. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to go through things. And sure enough, six months later, I was the best one in my class. I spoke perfect German with no accent or anything and made tons of friends. And uh, it was just great. And so two years later, my family decided that we would move to France if we're going to stay in Europe because of, you know, the whole history behind there. So we moved to France, and there again, I had the same issue. Um, Not as deep, but, you know, I was speaking French at home, but between a language that you practice at home and being able to practice it within a school environment, there is still a huge gap. So... I was lag- lagging behind for a while, but uh, again, my magic number is six months. I made it to the top and moved on from there. And from there on, we started make- they started having me jump classes, and that's eventually how I caught up with the, um, the delay that I had uh, accused back home by not going to school. So in any case, after business school in France, I decided that France would be too small for my ambitions because if anybody knows how France works, it's a very hierarchical system. And, um, on top of that, being somebody from the minority in France, I mean, people complain about the United States, but I can tell you that what I have been able to accomplish in this country, I can, I can, I can stand in front of you and tell you that I would never have accomplished the same in, 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 in France. It's just the reality of it. And it is what it is, but, um, I want to make sure that, you know, the U S is recognized for that. In any case, um, that's why I moved from the United States, um, from France to the U.S., and there I landed in a small town in Indiana, Columbus, Indiana, most precisely, uh, because in my last year of business school, we had an exchange program with IUPU, and my host family lived there, and they had told me, they said, you know, when you're done with school in France, if you want to come back here, we would be, we would be delighted and honored to have you. So that's exactly what I did. I, um, I called them up, and they really made – they really. Uh, Made um, they followed suit on their promise and I worked for a very small family business and there again I learned a lot I learned the difference between English and between the British really British language that I learned and the fact that here people people speak American <laughs> you know the accent <laughs> and really you know being in the being in the Midwest too I am looking back I felt I'm I, I, I realized how fortunate I was to have started in the Midwest because there I really feel like I learned true, deep American values and among some of the American values that I really love, which is, you know, hard work and, um, you know, the family values, all that stuff. And it was really, really great um, because later I would spend my life mostly on um, – the you know the coast of the America of America, San Francisco, and New York, and now I'm in Austin. But um, there I really learned some 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 deep values, and uh, there too I want to say, for whatever it is worth, you know, being in the Midwest, being in a town that was predominantly predominantly white, yet um, they I have been you know welcomed with such with such open arms. Um, it's unbelievable. So. You know, for whatever it is worth, again, I just want to send a reminder out to all folks that um, uh, to not ever um, group people. Um, the Midwest doesn't mean anything, the coast doesn't mean anything. What matters is people. And all I have to say is the people that I had to deal with when I was there have shown me nothing but love and respect. And if nothing else, they have open the doors that I get to enjoy today um, even in what I'm doing here because they sponsored me for my visa, for my H-1B. Um, they, you know, helped me with my first apartment, um, everything and provided me with a sense of family that, um, you know, it's been a long time since I've had that. So I just wanted to put that out there because, you know, we find greatness and good people everywhere. So, um, so that that 's how it worked and after, after nine months there I, um, it seemed like I had really basically <laughs> made in French we say uh, faire le tour you know meaning um, I really had made it around my job basically I had, um, they had years and years and years of accounting to be caught up on. I, I did that, set up a marketing you know campaign for them, uh, get the whole um, business in order, and I remember her my um, you know, my employer, who by then has become, you know, my uh, almost like my American mom, since then, I, um, I, coll- I added up five more of them. So I have five American moms all over the, the U.S., and some <laughs> of them are Jewish, some of them are, you know, Christian, some of them. I mean, it's all over, but uh, yeah, I don't know. But I got adopted by five different moms. So she's mom number one, and so Carol is her name, and she said, you know, we would love to keep you here with us but the truth is you are destined for such bigger things and um it would be really selfish on our part um to to limit your 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 potential because you can do much more than we could ever offer you so um if you want to go and discover the world please by all means do and we encourage you to do that and should anything ever go wrong you come right back here there's always going to be space for you and so just go and worry about nothing and it's a really wonderful way um you know to be supported in any case um I went uh, at this around the same time, I think. I think uh, something was happening. There is this man that I had met back in business school in France. He was a little bit older than me, had moved to the U.S. and started the subsidiary <laughs> of his company. And I'm um,
1: going gonna, gonna to jump jump in here. We, we actually have to take a break to pay the bill, but we will absolutely sure. get a chance to, to finish telling your story because it is a fascinating one and we, we want to hear it. Uh, but wonder, we want to remind people that you can get a hold of Ron or myself by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is the soul of enterprise prize.com and, and and check out there for show notes and as well as sh- listen to previous shows but right now we want a word from our sponsor leading results
4: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson if your site is not the best lead generation tool you have we should talk we are leading results we build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line using hubspot or wordpress we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found converts web visitors to leads and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
2: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with entrepreneur Magat Wade. And Magat, I'll go ahead and let you finish your story that uh, you were in the middle of.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, I was just saying that um, basically, yes, there was this man in San Francisco who had gone to the same business school as I had back in France. He was a little bit older than me. That's why he graduated earlier and went to build a subsidiary of a French company in um, the Bay Area in San Francisco. So in any way... um, back then i uh was engaged normally to be paired in um to another frenchman um you know in um, in indiana but eventually everybody could tell it was not the right match and i just owed it to myself to figure it out but um i went to figure it out and i came back and i'm like this is it so anyway i um went i at that point it was very clear for me like they say love called me in san francisco love um you know I, I left my heart in San Francisco. So I went back there. And when I went, it was really scary because, you know, um, I wasn't an H1B. H1B means uh, you, your legal status is attached to your company, to the company that sponsored you. And if right. you leave it, you have to start all over again. And it's really hard. There are quotas and all of that. It's a mess. But even with all of that, you know, I always have, I always had confidence in myself and also faith. Faith in, in in God and in the universe. So I said, "You got to do what you got to do, and um, God will God will do the rest." So I followed my heart. I went, I went, and um, within a week, I was able to find three other positions. Uh, each one of them wanting to sponsor me, and it it worked out really beautifully. Um, there. While in Silicon Valley, I was a headhunter in the finance world, and during it's during that time, but I was really um, given the privilege to work with some of the top, you know, um, um, tech companies in the valley. And um, my job was to find them some of the best talent in finance and, ca- and accounting all around the world. So there. It's there that I discovered Google and we were working with Google when almost no one knew how to pronounce Google. It was this tiny little <laughs> company. <laughs> you know, Netflix was this tiny little company in the middle of nowhere, San Jose, that I got lost getting to so many times. Little did we know that Netflix would become the name, household name brand that it is today. So really, I was very fortunate to be almost at ground zero of companies like that, really watching the magic of entrepreneurship and what it does, people coming up with a simple idea and then the ecosystem and also, be coming to understand and appreciate the ecosystem around the entrepreneur, um, meaning you know you have the bankers on one end and uh, the, the big, four, the big back in the day, big five now, big four CPA firms, the uh, the VCs, the uh, the um, you know the other entrepreneurs themselves, and 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 then the lawyers. I mean, this whole ecosystem and how it works. But most importantly, witnessing the magic of entrepreneurship, which is truly creating something out of nothing, and that was just beautiful. Um, I was there I was there for 6 years almost doing very well for myself but eventually I got hit with a crisis of conscience. Um conscience around what really am I here for? Who am I and what am I here for? Um you know I I was there making huge amounts of money, you know, I, I made the six figures very early on in my early, you know, like I was 21 23 years old and started making, you know, well beyond six six figures, and i had worked really hard for all of this but um something something was missing and one day i just totally broke down um driving down big Sur, to big Sur. basically i could no longer reconcile the the life of abundance and privileges that i was living again i had worked really hard for it and it was you know it's it's, it's great that i was able to be rewarded that way but i could no longer reconcile that life of abundance with the life of um, scarcity that so many people back home in Africa were going through. It, it just became no longer sustainable Or I couldn't justify it anymore. And um, I could no longer enjoy what I had um, given, if I, knowing that others did not, you know, were living in sub- oftentimes abject poverty. It just made, made no sense for me. So um, I had this major breakdown of conscience and of um, um, existential, an existential crisis. And, um, that's when I remember making a pact with my, between me and God saying, listen, from now on, I will devote everything that I am and I have to the cause of Africa, making sure that my people also get a chance to reach prosperity and that they get to live full life, um, you know, executing their full potential, the full potential that you brought them to this world with. Um, so use me, show me the way. I'm here. I'm ready. And sure enough, you know, um, a few months later, Uh, It started, the process started. Um, I had gone home to Senegal to show my husband, my new husband, where I was, where I came from. And he started asking about this beverage, the hibiscus drink, you know, and I could see everyone around us being like, oh, well... Where are you coming from, girl? I mean, that beverage is only for you know, like the people who are still in the village. So basically, for them, if you have made it, if you're anybody, the way you show your status is by drinking, you know, uh, western um, western brands. So we're talking Coke, Pepsi, Coca uh, Fanta, products like that is what you drink and what you give to your guest. To and it's a way of for you also to signal your status and that you made it. So rich people are are. are Consuming Western brands, and the poor people, which is a major, the the, the biggest part of the, the bottom of a pyramid, are busy um, consuming knockout, knockout brands of the Western brands, right? So coming from China and coming from India, but in the mean, in the middle, all of our indigenous um, assets and cultures are being then. Squeezed out, and at the same time, as my culture is dying because of our lack of, um, you know, self esteem in who we are and what and what we are, at the same time, I am faced with with stories. But those stories have been going on for as long as I remember being, um, you know, I remember being aware of the world around me. And these are stories of young people, mainly young people, but, you know, we have, you know, amongst them women and um, also we have children who are leaving my country and other African countries on a regular basis trying to get to Europe looking for work so that they can feed their families back home. And most of them do not make it. Most of them, you will find them laying at the bottom of the ocean right now serving as fish food. And so between those two huge losses, loss of culture on one side and loss of human life on the other side. It's just... Um I just have this sense of urgency and this sense of purpose that um, we got to find a way to stop this. And in my in my case, what I what I have identified is the power of branding. So at the root, it's the power of entrepreneurship. Because at the end of the day, people are leaving these countries because they're poor, so they're going to go look for a way to make money. But I didn't, but what is poverty? You're poor because you have no money. You have no money because you have no source of income. For most of us, a, a source of income is a job. Where do jobs come from? They come from businesses entrepreneur, entrepreneur you know like um, enterprises and so mainly from small and medium-sized enterprises the SMEs, every um, rich country has a huge um, group you know the, the SME group is huge that's where the new jobs come from. So then don't you think that it would be important that we really pay attention to the business climates in these poor countries? Yes we should. And then you're like, okay, let's look at that. Well, except that when you look at the Doing Business Index ranking of a World Bank, which measures how easy or hard it is to start and run a business in any country in the world, sure enough, who do you find? Who do you find? The poorest countries in the world. Out of 54 countries in Africa, 50 African countries are basically at the bottom of that list. It's pretty right. It's pretty telling, isn't it? So, So for me... As I started looking at all of that, I'm like, wow, this is, this is mind-blowing. And, and the sad thing is most people don't know about this. Most people don't know. So, so entrepreneurship became really important for me because I'm like, if that's the mechanism that can create these hundreds of millions of jobs that we need to get people out of poverty into prosperity, then I am going to become monomaniacal about entrepreneurship and whatever it is that we can do to push this idea forward. So... And that's, so in my case, I was like, myself, the way I'm going to practice, I'm going to build companies. And in my case, I wanted to build brands, brands, because remember, I want to create jobs back home, but I also want to preserve my culture. And brands have a powerful, powerful way of sharing, of building up uh, cultures. So brands are, they can they can even make up entire cultures, let alone, um, you know, reinforce existing ones. That's the power of brands. And so in my case, my job was going to be to create con- consumer brands in which I would have embedded in their DNAs the very best of um as a uh, cultural aspect of my my background, so that 's how I started this first company uh the beverage company, because you know it was dying back home, and so we created this brand really, and my goal was to do reverse colonialism on my own people, meaning that because see, since we we have lost um uh, we have no self esteem for what we are, then what I was going to do, and we only consider to be good what the West said was good, so then I was going to create this brand top brand. Um, make it really popular in the West, and by the time I get back home with it, people would be like, "Oh, we hear that some of the most sophisticated people in America are drinking this, so it must be good," you know. But I'm like, "You idiots, we ha- we had it forever." So, but if this is what you need for now to go back to your roots, fine. I'll, I'll, you know, that's that's how we're gonna do it. So. That's how I did that first company. It was my main. It was one of my main ways of uh, really um, criticizing by creating. And um, in this situation, I was criticizing the 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 hold that Pepsi and Cook and Fanta had on my, in my on our countries and uh, and economies as well. So I started with that one. We went all the way to where all of a sudden I had on my board the ex chairman of PepsiCo, um, you know my. My, um, the person I was running the business with, I had recruited him out of retirement, Greg Sultanpole, who had founded Odwala. Odwala was sold to Coca Cola. And then later on, when we left, both him and I, the company, uh, the company was taken over by, uh, John Bellow, was run by John Bellow, who him had founded Sobe, sold to Pepsi a few years ago. So, I would like to... Yeah, so this little business that I started in my kitchen basically had traveled a long, long way. So that was the first one. The second one was no different. You know, it's um, call, uh, called Tiosan, And that one, same thing, I share with people um, the knowledge of the ancient um, healers of my country um, and the plants, the botanicals that they use, all of that stuff is embedded in in the brand and in, in the products. And same thing with that one. We're being sold at places like Nordstrom. So once again, you know, just taking something that's really good, um, potent and proven about ourselves, package it in a 21st century way for my contemporaries and the cultural creative demographic, and then, boom, put it out to the market, and it creates jobs back home, and it um, preserves my culture and ex- makes it expand. It's, it's great. The third one, third one, skin is Skin, is a little bit different because we're still producing our, our goods in Senegal because the jobs for me are very important, but this time around, this time around, I'm taking on, Something that I consider to be major in the U.S. and it has to do with uh, discrimination. So a, a year ago, I got hit to my core by those three videos of the black people being being killed by the police, um, and it just sent me. It's um, I don't know. I um, when I look at um, what racism has done to all of us, and I mean all of us, it's it's it doesn't. It's not the one way street. It's not the one way street. We all have biases. We all do. So I, again, I'm criticized by creating. We started um, this company called Skinny Skin. The name means everything to me, Skinny Skin. And um, the goal here is to really uh, help re help. All of us hack our biases because that's what it is all about. I am not here to face, I'm not here to change the mind of uh, consciously, consciously racist people. People who are going to say, you're superior to me or you're, infer- or, you're infer- or, I mean, or you're inferior to me because of this, this and that. That person, I'm not going to be the one addressing that person. I will leave that to other people. But the folks I'm addressing is the middle, meaning the majority of us. I believe that most people are good at heart. Absolutely, um, but it doesn't mean that we don't have biases. Those very same good people at heart, those very same people who will look at me and consciously they'll be like, "Of course, Magat. You, of course, there is no difference between you and I based on our skin color, right? It's not where the differences lay. Uh, your your character is what will define everything else." Well, even though we're able to say that me first, we still are acting based on programmations that happen in the back of our mind and that from all the stimuli that we get on a regular basis from the media, movies that we watch, uh, our own upbringing, our parents, our every, everything that, uh, you know, um, gets to come in touch with us, therefore shapes our, our thoughts, whether it's consciously done or unconsciously done um, Done in a subtle way or in a gross way, it doesn't matter, but it's up there and it's building in the back of our brands. so well, my goal here oh well, my god I, I'm
2: sorry I have to cut, we have to take another break, but but we share your passion for the entrepreneur. we definitely think it creates our future uh, so I could, couldn't agree with you more uh, about mm-hmm. that, and certainly the brand can have an, uh, you know just a, an enormous effect on culture. But folks would' like to remind you if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so by sending us an email. Ask TsoE at Verisage.com. We'll post full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com with our interview on our interview with Magai, and we'll link to her companies, Teosan and skinaskin.com. You can find those and check those products out. They're, they're high-end skincare products that are sold in boutiques and like she said, Nordstrom. And now we want to hear from our sponsor. <laughs>
1: And here we are back on the Soul of Enterprise with Magat Wade. Magat, your story is just so compelling. Ron and I are here g- glued to our seats and um, want to give you the chance to, to finish up about what you were saying about Skin to Skin, the, your latest company, which you've launched only a few weeks ago and uh, is available. You get, um, we'll put it on our, our site, but it's also it's com. Strongly mm-hmm. encourage people to go out and take a look. Tell us a little bit about the products, though.
3: Yeah, so the product really goes with a mission. Um, Basically, uh, right now we started with the lip balm, 100% natural, 100% vegan, all made in Africa. And um, basically, it's a lip balm on a mission. (laughs) And we had picked the lip balm as our product to be the vehicle for the message and, uh, really do the work, help, um, do the work with people. Because, um, lip balms is something that everybody uses, regardless of age, race, um, you know, gender. It doesn't matter. Everybody uses or should use, should I say, a good lip balm, right? So, um, now think about it. The lips along with the hands are the top connectors of a body. And uh, when it comes to discrimination and, and, and really fighting it, it, we absolutely must go back to one-on-one real connection between human beings. And so connection, right? So lips, connection. Um, We wanted something that can really um, remind you, give you a gentle reminder every time that you use it, give you a gentle reminder to uh, switch on your curiosity, your empathy, and your love. Why? Because those three uh, elements, those three ingredients are what the brain needs to rewire uh, itself. The brain can rewire itself. Biases is uh, f- hacking and fighting your biases is about um, weakening, and eventually they will disappear. Those old neural pathways where the biases are, and recreating new ones that are more that are healthier. And what the brain needs to do that is with free ingredients, like I said. So this lip balm, bon, we have it in three flavors: coconut and love, mint and curiosity, anise uh, and it's an empathy. We like to consider. That those ingredients are active ingredients. Our lip balms were designed and created with intentions, good intentions as active ingredients. So the product itself does that, you know, reminds you all the time and we know it works on the branch when, when it's, when, you know, it kind of, you're able to, to, to unleash those, those feelings. And beyond that, 50% of the profits uh, go to organizations that fight biases in our schools and in our communities. Um, a recipient of 2017 and 18 of our foundation money um, is the University of Wisconsin. We There is a lab there that has spent its whole existence on packing devices. So those are people that who we're giving money to so they can keep doing more of their work and research. Um, and from the work that they have already done, our brand has designed a weekly practice to take people on a journey to hack their own biases and, uh, replace, you know, replace this, 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 this yeah, this um, kill the discrimination, in, um, you know, that way. So, um, that's going to be released in three weeks to three to four weeks. And then, um, school wise, we're giving money to a place like called no place for hate. So we're teaching kids, um, K to 12, basically to not even go where us adults are in the first place. So, That's what Skinny Skin is all in a nutshell. Um, Anybody want to know more, better to go on the website. Otherwise, I could be sitting here talking about it until the cows come home. And uh, I feel like I've (laughs) said enough about it so so far. But thanks for letting me talk about it.
1: You're welcome. Whether they're Russian or Spanish cows with a Russian accent, whatever. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to, to to tell another story, and we've got about five minutes left in this segment. But I, I, I as Ron mentioned, I watched your talk on uh, the for the Foundation for Economic Education, and boy, oh. you were on fire. <laughs> so this, I guess, is in June of this year, and mm-hmm. I, we're gonna put we're, we'll put a link up to that that video so that everyone can enjoy it. But um, tell tell us the story about how you really. I'll just say it pissed off the president of Senegal.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, um, so just to give you context, so imagine yourself. Yeah. And I don't know if any of our readers, um, have ever gone through this, but you know, imagine you go to this one conference and we're supposed to talk about how to move Africa forward. This was in Gabon, right? Gabon is a tiny, small country in Africa and a French speaking country. So, we have this big conference the only other conference i can confer, um you know um compare it to is a conference, like, uh, basically the people who put Davos on are the ones who put that type of conference on. So really, we're talking high-level thing. Of course, a lot of these um, heads of states want to be there and want to be part of it. And because we're in Africa, um, we have to invite a lot of them because, you know, we, you're still in countries where, oh, politicians are such a big deal, right? I would never imagine any politician, any uh, respectable um, business conference or even uh, innovation conference in Silicon Valley or anywhere around the world, inviting, you know, too many, inviting even one or two people from the government, let alone having like so many of them in, the, in that room. It's almost like it would disqualify them from talking about innovation, right? So, but anyway, <laughs> we'll pass on that. The room, so that, that day on my session t- during my plenary, you had the first row, it was all of these dignitaries, many, many, many heads of states, of Africa, of different countries in Africa. Mine was sitting there as well. And so what happened is they were asking, you know, of course, me, my message, like I told you, I am monomaniacal about entrepreneurship. And I am very, very serious about um, doing anything that I can to influence policies that have to do with making the business climate in African countries, better business climate. So I was just explaining all the difference that I was going through between the two sister companies. So my company, there's a sister company in the U.S. and a sister company in, in, in Senegal. And just giving the differences of struggle, uh, even in terms of creating both, both, uh, both entities in the U.S. It takes me. 15 minutes or so to start the LLC part online. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. Um, and, you know, within, within, within no time, I get all my um, certificate of uh, incorporation and everything back from the state with the signature on, online, done, right? No fuss, no, 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 no struggle, nothing. In Senegal, by that, when I was speaking back then, it's been still two years that I was still dealing with that crap right? On one end, you almost had to pay nothing. On, on the other one, we were a few thousand dollars in and still not done and still no, sight, no end in sight. So I was making those, those comparisons alone. And then I said, insofar as entrepreneurs and the jobs that they create is the key solution to poverty, yet you're making it so hard for us to do business, how then do you expect us to, to do business and create jobs and how dare you tell me that you really care about poverty? That's what pissed him off. So I basically <laughs> film under the bus, you know, and people like him under the bus, and they're just not used to that. First of all, you know, being front of the, under the bus or just being faced to reality, because that's just not something that you do. You know, um, you have to be very like, oh, His Excellency, you know, everything is so great. That's no, literally, I'm 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 exaggerating here, but not so. I'm not exaggerating that much, because really, that's how right. we call our heads of state. His Excellency. I'm I'm like, you are no His Excellency. You may be my president, but no, no, he's Excellency. All of that. Nonsense. So, in any case, um, I was just talking about that, showing those, uh, really showing to people those differences and trying to make my case. And I guess he was not happy about the fact that I did not just sit there and say, oh, everything is so great and our president is doing such great work and all of that. And it totally pissed him off. But, but the good news is it didn't just. Um, it didn't just piss him off. And the reason I do what I do is obviously my 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 goal is not to sit there and piss off people, you know, left and right um, just for the sake of it. No, I am there to tell my truth. And if the truth stinks, then great. But beyond that, what was really great in the situation in my mind, that's why I did it, is because what I was looking forward to having was a change. And um, yes, maybe his first reaction was to be pissed. But the second reaction then was, what do we do about this? And from then on, um, he really went on to make it the case and a point to really, um, look and work on the doing business index ranking of a World Bank because it is a really great index to see how you're doing and how you're helping your entrepreneurs. So my country, I must say, I'm very proud to report this, but you know, he has become very serious about that. There is an entire um, part of the government that's focused on this issue and their job is to really try and make us um, some of the best reformers on the ranking. And we are making, we're making headways. We started from so low on the ranking that you know we, we're still we're still down there but we're definitely going up the trend is we're we, we're moving up so to me that's what I'm trying to do when I do these talks um, again I know it's going they're very, usually very controversial but the goal is to wake people up and yes they start out being 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 mad but eventually if they're if they're really truly good people that really truly want to move forward they You know, anybody who listens to me or sees me knows that I'm really coming at it from the angle that I just want for my people to get a chance at a prosperous life and to get a chance at a productive life like any human being deserves to have. And so I think past the first thing moment, at least my president was very, you know, he he followed suit. He followed suit. I help him here and there with... uh, thinking more here and there like when i write my article on forbes which is like if i can't fire you i can't hire you and kind of you know like um put the knife in a little bit more and then he's like oh shoot she's out there still again (laughs) Uh, yeah i I, I do that so so yeah
1: great great stuff yeah, that's fantastic. And and talking about making a difference. I I'm I'm uh, going to let Ron take the rest of the way in our last segment, but I just just want to say to you Meg before we get a chance that we we've, we've had a lot of guests on this show and our show is called The Soul of Enterprise uh, because we believe that business has a spiritual component that that has to be looked at and has to be factored in. And uh, I I can say this even with, uh, and I'm sure Father Sirico would agree, because we've had him on twice, as as well as Rabbi Daniel Lappin, who are also my heroes, that you absolutely embody what this show is about. So uh, let Ron take you the rest of the way after our break. But thank you so much for for being a guest. But right now, I want to remind you that you can see show notes uh, for full shows at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage.
0: For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S.O.E.
4: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
2: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with entrepreneur McGot Wade. And McGot. we had Father Sirico on the show back in March of this year to discuss the movie that I think you're one of the definite stars in, Poverty, Inc., which is just a fantastic movie. And you just such a powerful job in that. Uh, but very early on in that movie, you talk about that 1984 Band-Aid song. You know, I think it was Bono and uh, the guy from Wham! What was his name? George Michael. Did It was about the famine in Ethiopia, and, and you talked about how it perpetuates a false image of Africa as barren, as a, you know, it's a sentimental image of Africans being helpless and dependent. Africa has no rain, it's got no river, you know, they don't know it's Christmas. Um, yeah, and Bona was even talking about how happy this song has been remixed and done on different shows, and he was really happy about that. But really, when you think about it, it was the most self-righteous platform ever in the history of popular music. Um, I guess my question is bono is is kind of an anomaly he 's got one foot in the poverty establishment and one foot out in that he recognizes that free markets and entrepreneurship are the only way to really alleviate poverty we We okay. say the only antidote to poverty is the creation of wealth period that 's it that 's right. the only mm-hmm. that 's the only no an- antidote so I, do you what's your take on Bono these days? Is is he is he gotten out of the poverty industry, or is he still got one foot on each side?
3: You know, I think um, I think he still has one foot one foot in and one foot out. I really do. And um, is he making um, is he traveling more and more towards us? I think I think so. I think so. Um, now, unfortunately, I. We're not hearing much from Bono. But, you know, it's been a long time since we've heard anything uh from him on these issues. So, um that's why I'm not so f- Bono puzzles me. How about I just leave it there? He he puzzles that's me. Fair. I think where I left it last where I left it last he was he was travelling the right direction. he was still travelling in the right direction. Although he still had a foot but we're stuck on the older paradigm. But um I I'm. I'm not sure where Bono is um, um, uh, intellectually these days.
2: You, you know, one of my favorite proverbs is a German proverb. You, you probably know it. it. If you want mm-hmm. equality, visit a mm-hmm. cemetery. And I think that's a <laughs> that's a real powerful. Do you worry yeah. more about inequality or poverty?
3: I worry more about um, poverty than because to me. First of all, this notion of um, equality. Equality, I think, it's 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 a scary inequality. Inequality can mean everything and also can mean nothing. That's why I don't like words like that, especially with where we have taken the term inequality in our society. Um, because first of all, what is what I want or what seems equal to me may not be the same to you and to somebody else. And quite frankly, I'm more interested in can we make sure that everybody gets a chance to accomplish um, their potential? I'm more interested in that. Um, you know, again, equality and inequality doesn't mean much to me these days, like I said, because of where different parties have taken the word. So whenever a word becomes too uh, charged, as that word is, inequality, I try to avoid it um, so that, you know, we can stay in, in, in we can keep clarity. So, I will go back and say what matters most to me is that everybody gets a chance to accomplish their potential, and that's why Poverty, Inc. is so important, because it's telling people that what matters most is to make sure that everybody gets to play by the same rules. Now, if we all get to play by the same rules, yet some of us don't make the most of it or whatever it is, that's you know at that point it's more on you the individual that you didn't do what you could have done given but because the proof is the same fr- your friend was able to accomplish more with the same sets of um, of um, tools than you maybe because it, they worked more who knows what it is but again to me i think it's very important that we go back to making sure that everybody that it's more about do we all do we all um are, are we all sitting on 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 equal footing? That's all. Just like you're the Olympics. You know, I used to be um, a sprinter. That was my 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 sport of choice, and I uh, practiced it at very um, you know um, competitive levels. And when it comes to that, the only thing that matters really once you're on that track is to make sure that. We all are on the same lane, but none of us gets to have um, a millimeter more than the other person uh, before they say go. But once they say right. go, uh, where you get is what you get. That's, right. that's more what matters to me, But none of us gets to start with, you know, if we start at the equal, at, at an equal place, that, that's more what I care about. And then after that, we all do our best and that's it. That's just the way it works. Right. And I'm fine you, with you, that.
2: <laughs> Equality of opportunity, not necessarily of results. You know, know, the movie Poverty Inc. documents social entrepreneurs, NGOs, um, you know, the the, the philanthropic organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The late Christopher Hitchens once said that Mother Teresa was not a friend of the poor. She was a friend of poverty. Now, I disagree with that. Father Sirico totally disagreed with that. But I think when it comes to the whole poverty industry... That's a really good point because the movie points out if, if you lift people up, if you bring them wealth, they don't need this entire industry. Is that the way you see it? Are these people, NGOs, social entrepreneurs, are they more friends of poverty than the actual poor?
3: Personally, do I believe that some of them get in because they really care about the issue? Absolutely. Actually, I think that most of them get in because they care. But eventually, the system sucks them in because they get... And eventually it it, it goes from, I, went, I came in because I cared, to all of a sudden, oh gee, I get to live this fancy life? Um, right. And when you think about it, by the time, time they're living this fancy life, all of a sudden you're telling them, oh and by the way, if you succeed at this, this is the only type of jobs where if you succeed, you lose your job.
2: <laughs> right, <laughs>
3: okay? yeah, no, so, it's, it's a great point,
2: it, yep. Yep, I, uh, just, it just seems like the ins- and and everybody admits that it doesn't work. What we're doing doesn't yeah. work. Well, Magat, this has been great. We're going to have to have you back on because i got so many more questions just about the movie and, and some of your other <laughs> TED Talks. But, but thank you so much for appearing on The Soul of Enterprise. This was an incredibly profound discussion. I totally admire your passion and your purpose and, and totally support it and wish you the best of luck. So thank you very thank much. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you for
2: and, having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you bet. And Ed, what's on store for next week?
1: Next week, Ron, we have our Freerider Friday for September. So we're looking forward to
2: that. Fantastic. I'll see you in 167 hours.
1: This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.